What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Pleasure to introduce Sam Moores to the podcast today. Sam has his own podcast, which I listen to and I steal questions from all the time, called <laughs> Car Chat. Um, done 51 episodes, I think, so far. Um I think definitely the guest that you have is someone that I aspire and I've been hunting down all of your guests. After I see someone <laughs> that you interview, I'm like, great, DM, email, <laughs> get after them you until know, they you know say what? yes. I did it to you. Yeah. When you said, oh, I forgot Larry Chen, I was like, oh, I know Larry. Larry. And then I sent him a message and he's he, he's actually my next guest. Oh, that's so <laughs> good. And that, that like, yeah, so... First of all, thanks for coming on the podcast, Mr. Sam Moores. Really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, you're welcome. And yeah, like it's, I have another podcast about like, because I'm, I'm in Oklahoma City. So I have another podcast about like Oklahoma stuff. Um, and people always ask me, how do you get your guests? And it's basically just by DMing people, sending emails. Like nobody yeah. is unreachable, right? And when I got Larry, I was like, no way. Like that's, that was huge. <laughs> and then it's, and then I, I spoke to, um, David Gwyther, who did, who's from Death Spray, who did, um, he was the most recent one who did Ken Block's like race cars and and designed oh, his cool. stuff. He's from Wales, um, which is where I'm from, which was kind of funny that we made that connection, but he's done some cool stuff. And it's amazing how it just kind of snowballs, isn't it? Like you get yeah, someone totally. that like, it just keeps going. But um, yeah, I mean. You can line up like three, four good guests. When you're asked next people, they're like, I recognize that person. Yeah. I'll do your show. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, for everyone listening, I guess, you know, they can easily go to the podcast and see that it's on all platforms. You're at Sam Moore's photo on Instagram and, you know, Sam Moore's on, on YouTube as well. And you have a separate yeah. YouTube for, for the podcast, which is mm. very smart, which I've, you know, for everyone that knows the YouTube game, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, it's a slow process though. Oh, for sure. But, you know, we're, <laughs> everyone sees you gone you know you take awesome photos you go around the world on on car trips and, and we'll get into some of that later you know gumball and and the snow tour and all that amazing stuff but like where where does it start for you like you know what is cars when you're a kid Are you, you know you're born and raised kind of in london area like what's what's it back to the start for me I, i'm quite a late bloomer in in terms of cars um when i was little i've, I've lived in london all my life so actually, I didn't start driving until I was 22, which mm. is quite uncommon for people that are into cars, I would say. But that was mainly because I lived in London most of the time. And then I went to uni, went to uni in Bristol, and I didn't really need a car. Like mm. A couple of my friends had a car and you just walk everywhere and whatever. Um, but I'd sort of been interested in like a really far away at cars like, oh, that's a Ferrari. That's a Lamborghini. Um, my dad had a Porsche when I was younger. He had a 993 Targa, which at the time I was just like, oh, this is a cool Porsche because I was like six. Um, but that sort of, I've always been interested slightly. Studied engineering at university. So sort of got a bit of a mindset into like how things work and stuff like that. And then one of my good friends from school, who you've probably heard of, a guy called Tim Burton, who mm -hmm. is Shmi 150 for those people out there that have got Google. Um, who is now one of the biggest names in the car YouTube world and sure. social media. Mm -hmm. um, and Tim and I used to, well, we were friends at school and we used to do a lot of skiing together. We were actually both ski instructors and we taught 
ski instructing, not taught, taught ski instructing, we used to ski instruct in New Zealand during our summers whilst we were at uni. And Tim started filming stuff with his little point-and-shoot camera around a home and sort of in London and these supercars that he was seeing. And he'd be like, Sam, uh, why don't you come to this event I'm going to? And he started to sort of get into the car world. And I'd go along to these events. At that point in time, I was interested in photography. I'd take a picture of skiing and I'd always sort of like messed around with cameras. Never really had any sort of formal education, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but very much one of those people that tries to analyze whatever it is and break it down and work out how to do it. So I'd go and find the people that I thought were really good at the time and try and break down technically what they were doing and then try and replicate that. Mm. And that's something I've always sort of done up until now, just basically stealing everyone's ideas and then putting them together. Um, But yeah, I started going to these events with Tim, taking pictures of cars. And then we sort of basically just carried on doing that on the side of other stuff. And then that's how I ended up but that's pretty much how I ended up taking pictures of cars, going to more events. Uh, Gumball was one of the first proper sort of companies I started working with. Mm-hmm. Um, another like crazy coincidence, someone I was went to school with. Sounds like school was the place to meet everyone. But, <laughs> yeah, like, what school did you go to? <laughs> was, the, was the social media intern. Uh-huh. Um, I've completely forgotten her name. I'm really sorry. She won't be listening to this. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> she, they'd had a bunch of photographers on the Gumball yeah. uh, that were generally sort of older and by her definition, pretty boring people. Mm. <laughs> and she says, Sam, like, I like you. Why didn't you, you take pictures of cars? Why didn't you come on the Gumball? And this was very early into me taking pictures of cars. And it was like a baptism of fire on event photography um these sort of road trip concepts taking pictures of cars hanging out of windows all of these sorts of things um very whirlwinds very tiring but like just learned so much the people the, the i think that's one of the times in my life where i've learned the most in terms of photography because something like the gumball it, it attracts all of these media types from around the world mm-hmm. whether it's photographers video people and the people I've met throughout that that have been contracted in, not as entrants, but to work for entrants or work for the different organizations or the major sponsors, they want to get some cool photos. All of these people that I've met over the years, and you hang out with them for a week, and you basically get reminded every five seconds how they are significantly better than you at taking pictures and all this sort of stuff. And you'd be... You can't, I think most people, they sit at home and they, they see someone's picture and they go, oh my God, that's just amazing. I could never do that or whatever. But this, you're in the situation where you're standing next to the person taking the photo. Mm-hmm. So you take a photo, they take a photo. You know you were standing near them in the same sort of time, same sort of place, exactly the same opportunity. And you see their photos and you're like, I'm just going to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> but it gave a real like tangible situation where you could you know their output and your output and you could talk to them about it and they had some guys that gave me like tons of help over the years and just sort of point me in the right direction and you just see these people who were just masters at their craft working and be there at the same time and just try and absorb as much without falling asleep or crashing yeah, in in the craziest scenario, right? Of all the places you're going to be on, like people are on gumball partying, not really sleeping that much and driving, yeah. and then you've got to work during that time as well. 
Yeah, exactly. And the way Gumball works is they, they generally try and not pay anyone any anything, ever. Mm-hmm. That's how they make money. Um, so, which is not, I wouldn't recommend this for treating your creatives like shit, but yeah. it sort of happened. And then it, in the early days, I was totally fine with that because I'd never met any of these people. You know, the, the entrants on Gumball are just successful humans from literally all over the planet. And you get to hang out with them for a week. And I've got loads of really good friends, loads of amazing contacts from doing these trips. Um, you work really hard for that week. Like you pretty much die, but at the same time, you you're aware in the early years, like you're aware you're. Not, I wasn't getting paid, or not not really. Just expenses covered, and people go like, oh yeah, you know whatever. But like you do that four or five times, you start to go, I'm not going to do this again because yeah. I've got as much out of it. But at the early years, you just like you'd go partying with all the guests, you'd be up all day, all night editing. You don't really have time to sleep. And you sort of, I sort of realized very quickly that the main benefit for me from doing the rallies, one was hanging around these other creatives who were just amazing, but then it was meeting all of the contestants and all of the people taking in the rally. So the most important thing was hanging out with those people, like make, just become friends with these people by being just a normal, nice person or whatever. And that, those people I see a couple of times a year, the snow tour people, they were they were gumball people and people I see from various situations. Some people I've had in the podcast now are all people I've met from that time. And then the extended network that I've met throughout that for the next, I don't know. Oh God, it's getting on for eight years. I think after my first gumball or something like that. Such an amazing experience and definitely one that like, I guess looking, I mean, for somebody getting into photography now, it's almost that they would actually pay for the opportunity to be there, to meet those people and have those connections. (sighs) Just yeah. to do it once, I guess. But I, I, I get, I totally get why you might, yeah, and why you'd think about it. But I would sort of, there's definitely you've got to value yourself at a certain point in time, mm-hmm. and in it's that sort of ten thousand hours type theory or whatever. Yeah. But you've got to go and take a lot of photos, yeah. and your hopefully your latest photos are better than your early photos. Like the, you've learned something, apply it, take negative feedback. I've had a couple of people over the years ask me. Uh, it's normally, and I sort of turn it down nowadays, where like a friend's got a little cousin or something that wants to get into photography. And they're like, oh, my cousin Steve wants to get into photography. And I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, will you help him out with some of his photos? And he'll send me some photos of some cars. And I had this. And he said, these are the first five photos I've taken of cars. They were literally the first five. <laughs> and I gave this guy... I, I gave it like a, quite a lot of time and I went through and I tried to give like constructive feedback. But mm-hmm. something I've learned over the years is people don't like constructive feedback. They like really positive stuff with some shit thrown in. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't be bothered with that. I just <laughs> want to know what's wrong with it. Like, just tell me what's wrong with it. Yeah. And then we can move on and just forget the ego. But I think it crushed this kid. I felt I felt a bit bad afterwards and he sort of threw his toys out of the pram. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I basically just said like, you need to take more pictures and these are things you should change about these pictures. And he just wanted me to say, these are amazing. And they weren't. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the, yeah, you're right. And that's one of the things that, well, that I noticed from, from speaking to Larry about stuff was like, he's like, I was, you know, I was taking so many photos and 
you know, you just have to, right? He said, I don't care. He, yeah. The one I think he said his his I guess one of his most famous ones is not the uh, not the Ken Block one at Pike's Peak, but the like the one at Sebring with through the lights um, mm. with the Corvette, and he's like, that's a one in two hundred and fifty shot, like. I took <laughs> yeah. 250 photos just to get that one shot and n- nobody cares now because I got it. But yeah, so that's kind of funny. But so, so when you go to Gumball and, and all that's going on, you're at school, you're traveling with Tim and, you know, after you graduated or after you finished school and, mm-hmm. uh, like, are you thinking like, are you going to go event photography and go down that route or are you going to use your degree and go to like get a nine to five and like, what is, I, I, I was very quickly ditching the engineering mindset like it's still Mm. there it's still in me i i still like techie engineering type stuff but the more i was hanging out with people that were doing their own thing so whether it's having their own businesses or that sort of thing or and just creative people Mm -hmm. the thing about hanging out with creative people i realized quite early on is there's a lot more girls doing creative jobs than there are in engineering Sure. And, <laughs> and yeah. to start off, I was like, this just seems like a way nicer atmosphere. Everyone is having fun. Whenever you go to an event, people are generally having fun and mm-hmm. you're part of it. Whereas the idea of sitting on a desk sort of yeah. got a bit out of my head. Although now I spend a lot of my time sitting at a desk like this, um, talking to people <laughs> and editing stuff. Yeah. But no, I mean, taking photos is such a personal thing. And I know, you know, what you said, building relationships and being around people and like being with, you know, being in that story and hanging out and going to parties and then showing them a photo of the experience the next day. Like that's such a, mm. such an intimate thing to have. And, you know, I mean, who, who better to build relationships with than, than the, you know, some of the richest and, and most successful people <laughs> in the world that also just love hooning around wherever they're going. Yeah. You know? One of the questions I get a lot is if someone doesn't know anything about what I do and trying to sort of pin that down to one thing is always a bit tricky, but they say, okay, so what do you do? I was like, I take photos. I like, oh, would you take photos of cars? And they're, they're sort of like, there's a question mark when they reply that like, cars. Yeah. People take pictures of cars. Like, yeah. And then they're like, so you do, do you do like formula one? Like, no, I don't do formula one. And then, then their mind's like blank. They've lost all the things. And they're like, okay, so what what cars do you take pictures of? And my answer generally to that question is uh, generally expensive cars because if it's a private individual and they've bought an expensive car, they can afford decent photography. Or mm-hmm. anyone could, say, could afford it, but if photography is expensive. And if your car costs you 50 quid, you're not going to want to spend whatever, 500 pounds, yeah. 1,000 pounds, more, whatever, on some photos of it unless you're you're slightly warped you're a little mad Um, yeah but yeah so it's just it it naturally lends itself to the higher end of the car market or and the luxury market and all of these things and that's i think why you see a lot more people taking photos of nice watches nice cars that's that unless it's toyota or someone then i would totally you know hit me up i'll take a picture of whatever yeah uh so you know so so that quickly is becoming like engineering is going you know like not going to do that. I want to do this. I want to, you know, build these relationships even more and take photos of personal, you know, people's personal collections and some dealerships and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so when are you like thinking, cause when you're in that environment, you're like, I have to get myself a cool car, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I'm in a, a very lucky position, position um, where, where whilst, whilst all this is going, going on, on 
I, I come from a family in the UK where my great-grandfather was exceptionally um, good at building businesses, basically. And he created a massive department business in the UK. Um, and that, that got sold when I was about 18. And I'm in an amazing position. And I've taken a load of like shit from random people about this over the years. Um, where the, I, I have, because of this, I have some money. Yeah. And, and that allows me to, to sort of pursue the things I would like to pursue. Um, and it's allowed me to have some cool cars alongside of doing this and not sure. 100% worrying about every paycheck the entire time. And I, there's no way, I think, there's no way I'd be doing what I would do now without that. And I have to hold my hands up and say that because... I think for me and the avenue I was going down, I always wanted to sort of be able to afford nice things and stuff like that. And I think if I didn't have the backup, I would have ended up going into finance mm -hmm. or engineering or probably something like that um, rather than into now doing exactly like what I love, which is photography. And it's it's sort of growing and it's it's going great. Um, but yeah, so along the, along the side, I got a, I got a Boxster. That was my first sports car. Mm -hmm. I got a 981 Boxster when they came out. So it was about 2012. And that was the first of, and the start of a deep dive into Porsche or Porsche as it's connect, correctly pronounced. <laughs> I keep being told. Yeah. I, I know that's the case, but I, I flip flop between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and then I think one of the reasons why Porsche has been one of these brands that I've felt such an affinity with is because of all the road trips I've done been on I've seen all of these cars being used whether it's on track days or driving across Europe and the Porsches are always the ones that are like the most practical and not being most practical is not necessarily a good thing like that's not a, a necessarily right. a good trait in an interesting car but they never break down they always work you can lap them forever in comparison to other cars you might buy it I don't know, certain Ferrari, and it might melt its brakes after two mm. laps. But the Porsches, they work. You take them back. If something breaks, you take it back to Porsche. They fix it. They don't moan about it. And um, yeah, and it's and I think it's part of it's like that German engineering. It's, it comes back to the engineering thing of like yeah. just an iterative design that's been perfected over time. And it keeps going. Yeah, and that that's led me down this warren of Porsche cars. <laughs> Which I mean, you have two currently, two current Porsches, yeah. right? You have the yeah, older, so the older one. I had the Boxster, mm -hmm. and after one of the, one of the lessons I learned about cars was very quickly: if you buy a new car, either you've got to keep it for a very long time, or you're going to lose a lot of money, one or the other. Uh, so I sold my Boxster after two years, a year and a half, something like that, and I bought a 997 Gen 2 GT3 RS, mm. and that was a massive stretch at the time. And I took out some finance and it was, at the time, it just seemed like the right car. I'm amazed at how, in hindsight, it's turned out to be the right car. Oh, like I yeah. I could have gone down so many other avenues. And that car at that time was, I paid about 93. In what, mid-2000s? Uh, th yeah, so that was like 2012. Oh, Okay. And that was the bottom of the market. I didn't know yeah. that was the bottom of the market. No one knew that was the bottom of the market. But that was the price of a GT3 RS now, then. And they sort of 
doubled over the next <laughs> three, four years, which is an amazing experience um, to sort of go through in in a sort sorts of ways. But but that car, the Boxster, I loved, and it it really I started to appreciate sort of like heel and toe driving and started driving a little bit with the traction control off and stuff like that and starting to get used to the car moving around and things like that. But switching to the GT3 RS, um, and at the time it was on the the Gen 1 Cup tyres, so now we're on version 2. And the the, the 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 ones basically don't really work in the wet. Like They do if they're hot, but not really. And the first week I had the car, I went and did a track day um, at Goodwood, which... If you've ever been to Goodwood or seen Goodwood, it's basically got a lot of straights with some right turns and then not a lot between that and some solid objects. And it's it's, it's just like, it's all high-speed stuff. And that was a real baptism of like fire onto track driving and driving that car. And I realised very quickly this was a significant like step up in terms of experience and also... Yeah, like the the bit of kit you're driving, which yeah. is another level. Um, had a particularly interesting moment. Another, it, basically, I got, kept getting invited back to this same private track day each year. And the next year, it was raining. And I was like, yeah, okay. I didn't have tons of experience in the wet at all on track, which is, if you've never driven on, on the track in the wet, it's completely different to just driving on a road in the wet. Like there's this line of essentially ice that goes around the track and mm. sends you flying off. And I was on these, um, these cup ones driving around. It was all right. And then I think I'd pretty much worn out the tread on the rears and I get to the last corner and the car just goes like massively sideways, <laughs> like full. And at the, time, at the time I just sort of like freaked out. I think I let go of the steering wheel a little bit. It went to like full opposite lock shat myself, kept going, kept going, and then sort of managed to collect it up and come back into the pits and then just sat down for like 20 minutes. Like, oh, I thought I was going to die and lose my car. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, I, and I've had that car now for, it's downstairs, I've had it for eight years. It's just the most amazing machine Unfortunately, as time goes on, it's not super practical. If you, if there's two of you, if it's one person, it's mm-hmm. not a problem. The cage is a bit of, it's fine. You can chuck a bag in the front, squeeze stuff through the back. But if you want to put two wheelie luggage or something, you know, simple in the front, it doesn't quite fit. Can't put stuff in the back. It gets a bit. So when there's two of us, it, it doesn't get used so much. But yeah, as a driving experience, and I know it sort of it gets talked about a lot by different journalists and stuff as the 997 gen 2 rs is like the one of all of the porsches and all the, the four liters sort of specifically minus the 38 but it's it's just the right level of raw the right level of like you can feel everything the steering wheel like just bristles you can actually feel stuff if you drive a modern car with electronic steering you can't feel stuff. People mm. just go, oh yeah, it turns in when I want to turn in. Whereas this, you like, you get this fizz through your fingers and then the noise and I've, I've messed with mine a little bit. Anyone that's got a, pretty much any car, I would say, that has a valved exhaust, just disable that valve to start off with. Like, 
loads of cars. You can pull a fuse, you can pull on the GT3s, you can pull a little vacuum seal in the back. Um, and that just opens up all this noise. When you lift off, the car suddenly goes like... Like all of that. Whereas normally it just goes... And then just cuts off like... Yeah. And then the noise comes back down. Um, and then change the exhaust, put a Sharkworks bypass on it. I think, And um, it just sounds unreal. Like it just... It's like pure race car type mm. experience. And actually... Eight years on, I'm starting to be like, mm, maybe it's a little bit loud. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because you did Gumball in that thing. car, right? You did Gumball in it. Mm. That was an interesting story. Was that your um, first I've Gumball actually, that you've I've driven? I've done Gumball twice in it. Oh, okay. Um, the, the first time, what happened? I was on with Team Galag and I was taking photos for them. And it was the one that went from, it was somewhere in the States. And it ended up in Ibiza. Oh, was it like Vegas? Miami. Was it Miami? Yeah, Miami, Miami to, to yeah, Ibiza, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and I started off with them taking pictures. And James, Mr. JWW, was on the rally as well. Um, I met James for the first time in 2012. That's where we made friends. Mm-hmm. And we sort of saw each other every now and then, every um, in between. But he, he was going to be driving his 458 from Edinburgh which is where we were flying across to Scotland, driving from Scotland down to Ibiza. And his, I was going to essentially, being the photographer for the Team Gallag guys, they were like, we want you to take pictures of our cars. cars. We want you to, want you to have, a great, have time, a great time, whatever. whatever. But, like, but like, you're not, you're not tied, tied down, down to, to, you have, you to, have travel to travel in one of our cars, cars or whatever. whatever. Uh, uh, James, James is friends, friends with them, them as well. As well. And, and so, so what, the what the initial, initial plan, plan was, was, I was going to jump in with James in Edinburgh, Edinburgh in his 458. His 458 got a puncture the day before. before. Um, so we're all in America. He finds out it's got a puncture. He left it. Um, so we get to Edinburgh. And I'd actually, one of the guys, I can't remember where we, we landed at this airport, sort of near west of Glasgow. I think it's near Trump's golf, golf course now, actually. I can't remember what it's called. And one of the guys, um, one of the gumballers, had decided he didn't want to fly on the gumball airlines because everyone on the gumball airlines essentially flies economy. And he was like, nah, I'm not about that. So him and some of his mates got a private jet. As you do. <laughs> As you do. Unless they possibly got on a normal commercial flight and went first class, but I think they got a jet. And... His car was this uh, Daytona Coupe like, replica. Um, he owns one of the original Shelby Daytona Coupes. He was going to bring the original, and then his teammates were like, don't do that, it'll break. <laughs> like, this is really, really, really valuable. Yeah. So he had a replica made, and this car landed at this airport. He landed in Edinburgh, and they were like, okay, we need to get the car from this airport to Edinburgh. So obviously everyone's like, me, 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 I'll drive it. Um, I managed to, as being one of the few English people in this, this squad, so I was like, I can deal with driving on the left. Um, and then I managed to sort of elbow myself up to the top of this list to drive this Cobra because, you know, I, at the time I had my GT3 and a bit of experience driving these things. That car was unbelievable. One of the funnest shit boxes i've ever driven like as a driving experience it was amazing like this side exit exhaust this v8 just like 
crazy long bonnet. You're cruising through. Um, but in terms of like a mechanical object, it was like really awful. The handbrake didn't work. Um, so I don't know whether you know Edinburgh very well, but it's got loads of hills. Sure. Like hills going up to traffic lights. So you're going up the hill up to a traffic light and it goes red and you know your handbrake doesn't work. And you're like, well, what, what do I do in this scenario? Do I drive it like half a mile an hour from like 300 meters away and try and time it? Or like, do I hold it on in gear just like <laughs> on the edge? That was a, an interesting experience. But I, just, I drove this car, got to Edinburgh. The plan was to jump in with James. His car had a flat tire. So like, okay. And then I think I'd fallen out with one of the crew members at this point in time because he was a... Um, he was just a dick. That was it. I th- I th- he was just really annoying. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was... Pati- I'm sure I'm a bit friendlier nowadays than I was when you're young and having a great time. But um, So I didn't have a car to get to London. So I jumped in with these Americans that had hired a Range Rover. They had hired a Range Rover Sport and they had some space in the back. But they'd never driven a right-hand drive car and they'd never driven on the left. So straight away, these guys are having the best time of their life. You know, they're on Gumball. Woo! And we're driving out of Edinburgh and they're just all over the shop on the road. Like, haven't got a clue. They kept getting really close to the curbs on the left. Yeah. Like, if you've ever driven on the other side of the road, you'll know, like, that's the problem. It's the, it's the distance on the other side of the car. And, you know, I kept, we kept in the back... Um, it was me and Rich Rich Walton. I don't know whether you've Yeah, he's that. from Wales, right? He's a Newport boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're like, guys, can you just like be careful and stay away from the curb? Like, just make a conscious effort to drive down the middle of the road, put your wheels on the white line, and we'll all be fine. Well, 60 miles an hour. Boom, boom. <laughs> Both outside tires on the curbs. Like, hmm. That, that sounded a bit weird. <laughs> didn't sound I kind of want to go to sleep, but what's going on? I think I'm going to die. Anyway, like 20 minutes later, we're driving down the motorway and I noticed the the guy that's driving has got his like hands at sort of, well, the steering wheel was meant to be straight, but I would say it was like 11 and 3 or 10 and 2 <laughs> or something. And But the car's going straight. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, uh, is the car not driving straight? He's like, no, it's not driving straight, but it's fine. It's not fine, is it? It's, this is not a safe situation. We pull over. It's got two flats or two slow punctures. So we spend the next, whatever it is, five, six hours in London, stopping, stopping every, every hour, hour to put some, yeah. put some air in the tyres, get to London. I couldn't run far enough and fast enough away from these people. <laughs> Catch James in the hotel that night. And he's like, well, why don't we, like, my car's bust. Can't, I can't use my car. You're you've sort of been kicked out of the crew transport because you just don't you're not getting on with these guys. And um, what should we do? Should we? And this is like one in the morning or something because on Gumball, yeah, there's this idea that everyone arrives and everyone goes partying. But actually, in reality, because of the distance involved, you often arrive so late. Mm. So you arrive at like twelve o'clock, twelve thirty, um, mess around for an hour. And then you might go to a club for like five minutes and then you've got to go to bed and get up in four hours. Yeah. So James is like, why don't we take your car? It's like, that's an interesting idea. That is an interesting idea. So I talked to the other guys on the team and said, do you mind if we take my car? They're like, yeah, whatever. Ah, no big deal. Like no biggie. 
So the next morning, I go back to my, I think I went back to my house that night, got the car, drove to the grid in uh, on Regent Street, that area, managed to get in, got some stickers, and then James and I drove from London to Ibiza um, on that trip, which was wicked fun. It was like, it was just great, like hanging out with these people, taking pictures, that in itself is really difficult. Driving your own car on something like that and creating media and editing and trying to sort of maintain some semblance of sanity is is just a load that I think it looks easy to most people. You mm-hmm. go, oh, you're, you're taking these pictures and stuff um, and you're just having a whale of a time, but it's crushing. So we've started after the Gumballs, the Team Gallag guys, um, I started doing these trips. They started calling it the Galak Ball, and it was essentially another road trip after the Gumball. Like, who thought of that as a good idea? But we're all in these places. So this year we were in Ibiza, and they're like, "Well, um, one of the guys was in his P1, and it needed to go back to McLaren in London." So it was like, "Well, why don't we do a road trip from Ibiza because this is where our cars are to London?" okay we've just finished this <laughs> yeah we're wrecked we're like yeah okay we'll wait a day and then we'll we'll drive back and so we started doing these trips after and that was the sort of start i think of this this thing that then turned into the snow tour it's been the desert tour and all this yeah. stuff is just getting a bunch of mates to drive just drive where you want to go don't do it with a hundred cars you can stop at restaurants that you actually want to go to you can stay at hotels that have double beds in them. Mm. Like quite often on Gumball, because they've taken out all the rooms in the hotel, you'll have a double bed but shared between two guys or whatever, which like is fine. It's okay. Yeah. But it's not okay if you spent 30 grand a week. <laughs> yeah, it's seven days of mayhem and you spend 30 grand on it and you've also got to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, then we started doing these trips. But was the next time the GG3 came out, was we did where was it it was london london it was a uk one mm-hmm. and then it ended up in romania i can't remember where it was it might have been london anyway we i two weeks before the rally the organizers they normally get in touch literally at the last possible moment i don't know why and say like hey do you want to come take photos you're like yeah cool but they, they hadn't this year and they'd been pushing it back even though I'd talked to them about it a lot. And then the Team Gala guys, two weeks before, were like, oh, why don't you why don't you come with us? Like, oh, that sounds fun. Um, I was like, okay, do, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to drive a luggage truck or go in the support crew or whatever? And they're like, I'll just find out if there's another space. So, <laughs> so I called up the girl. Do you have another space? I'm like, yes, obviously we do for the price of, whatever it was that year yeah and and they paid for my entrance fee oh, how awesome is that unbelievably yeah. generous um they're absolutely amazing they, they're just the nicest most genuine people so kind um and so i did it that year with a guy called john markar uh james did it with seb i think he was with seb for most of it in their Lotus, did not envy that one in the Lotus Elise. Yeah. Stupidly loud exhaust. They had headphones and, and headsets for it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. But like, 
Even then. <laughs> is that even is that the one they like got right the shocker. got the Yugo as well? Didn't they have a Yugo for a little bit? Yes, 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 yeah. Okay, I remember we had some that Yugos, one. Yugos, like four Yugos and all sorts of <laughs> stupid stuff. Um, mad. I think I can't remember what other cars we had that year. Um, just a bunch of mad stuff. Oh, the TG3. So it was like an AMG GT with a GT3 body kit on it. Yeah, that it was, was mad. Car. Yeah. Um, but we we drove to Romania, decided that Romania was really sketchy. One of the guys had had a gun pulled him on him that afternoon. Yeah. Um, which uh, that's a bit. I think I don't think Romania in itself is necessarily super sketchy. It's just if you turn up in a bunch of supercars, yeah. it's just the disparity of wealth is just so vast that you're just shoving it in anyone's face, and it felt really it didn't feel like you want to be mm-hmm. be there. Um, so we left the next day. We drove all the way to Romania. And then we left the next day on one of the fastest bits of driving. And I don't, I don't think anyone, I, I hate people that sort of stand up and say, oh, I did 200 miles an hour yeah. on the M4 the other day. Like, I, I don't recommend that. I think that's a yeah. really bad idea. Dickhead. I don't speak yeah. the UK at all. Um, but this, it, it was just, in Romania, there, just, there, were, there didn't seem like there's any rules at all. And we were so like tired and dead. We were like, okay, well, let's just get out of here. And we just hot-footed it across Eastern Europe mm. back to um, to sort of civilization as we thought. And then, uh, and this is when all of this stuff caught up with James, and he ended up going to hospital, hospital? essentially for a, a week, week of, of eating, eating cookies, cookies and, and drinking Coca Cola and not sleeping and filming and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he like. We got back to the UK. I don't think we even got to the UK before he started like passing out. And Rich ended up driving his car. And James ended up on the side of the road when he was trying to drive home after we got back to the UK. Like blacking out. He couldn't see. Oh, shit. Like, it was just like... That is... I think that's probably the most accurate example of how draining these things can be on you if you're trying to do all of this stuff. Like... To survive, to survive a gumball, a gumball you've got to eat well, well sleep, sleep as, as much as you can, can and just and drink just like drink a lot of water, water and do it, do, do all that. that. And then you're, and you're, you'll still be really tired, tired, but you'll probably, you'll probably be okay. okay. If you if try you and try like, like most people, I don't know about, about you, you, whenever you, you go, go, whenever I go on a road trip, I'm more inclined to drink soft drinks, eat rubbish food. Yeah. You, you're on the Harry Bows, you've got Coke, Harry Bows, exactly. and all the rest of it. Yeah, you don't eat an apple, a banana, and drink a gallon of water every day, do you? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. You just you smash, smash all the stuff, stuff that's not, not very good for you. And that's, 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 that's a lesson, a lesson I've, I've learned, learned over the years, years in terms of doing a lot, lot of these sorts of rallies, rallies um, working on them and in different forms, is I now eat all the time, and I try and eat as sort of healthy and mm-hmm. don't drink too much and like generally do that and... I found that you can get by with very little sleep. Like you can get by on like three hours sleep a night or something for a week if you eat a lot of the right stuff and yeah. drink lots of water and all of those sort of things. It's amazing your body's capacity if you give it the fuel to do yeah. it. Otherwise, yeah. When you did it, screwed. didn't didn't you do it? Re- I guess say recently, more recently in James's GT3. Didn't you do it a couple of years ago? Was that the Japan one? Uh. I James had his GT3 on the. Was it not as well not Gumball, but something else? 
James, okay, so we did, I mean, we've done two things with James's GT3. One was he had his car shipped to Romania mm-hmm. at the end of that gumball. I think that was 2016. And he'd basically, like, he'd lost it with this Lotus halfway through. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm not doing another 3,000 miles in this Lotus. And what happens is a lot of people ship their cars back from the end of a gumball, sure. funny enough. Um, so all these trucks are going out to the end destination from mm. generally from the UK. A lot of them are. So he got his car on one of the trucks that was going out to collect cars. Um, so he got like a really good rate on that. Yeah. And then he drove his GT, him and Rich drove his GT3 back. Uh, that was, yeah, that was the PDK one. Um, we did a trip with the Supercars Club Arabia. That's what from, I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. from Italy. It started near near Milan, like sort of like Great Lakes. They call the Great Lakes, um, and we drove down to the south of France. Mm. It was like a three day trip. We joined part of a week long. I think it was a two week long trip, and we just yeah. did three four days, and that was wicked. Like we just just hanging out with a mate. Yeah, in an awesome car, driving some amazing roads. Um, there's the supercars club Arabia guys, really nice bunch of people, but they're quite often they just kind of on these trips they're like I want to get to Cannes because I want to hang out in Cannes, sure because they they don't necessarily like hang out in Cannes enough apparently, so they when we were driving from somewhere like Milan to Cannes or maybe a one or two days they wanted to just go the motorway route the entire way. Hmm. And that we were like, well, we're next to all of these obscenely sick roads. Like, why don't we just go drive down some of these amazing mountain roads? So, James and I felt bad because James was doing it with Michelin, and Michelin is the sponsor of this club. And so it was like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave them because Michelin might get a bit annoyed. But equally, I am meant to be creating some interesting content on this trip. So we've got to do something interesting. Yeah. And so we ditched the main group halfway through one of these days and just peeled off and just started just zoomed out on the map found some wiggly stuff and just went to that direction and it was one of the best driving afternoons days i've ever had just hunting these amazing mountain roads stopping you're not in a rush you're not with anyone else so you don't feel bad about stopping and taking a picture and stuff like that and i always I try and push it when I'm with groups to like make the effort to stop when you're somewhere cool mm-hmm. and yeah, take some pictures and stuff because it's so easy when you're on these trips just to be like, no, go, go, go. Let's just keep driving. Let's blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the memories, you have the memories, but if you go, oh, I found this crazy little town up on this mountain and we've got a picture in it and like you've got that picture and you yeah. can look back forever rather than just blitz through all of these stuff like just take it in enjoy it yeah there's that i think the video that james put out with you're in it you like stop basically like on this hairpin just before the cloud base and you're like taking a bunch of photos and that i'll Mm. for everyone watching this i'll lay over that that image and stuff i'll find it later and that's yeah you're right like i mean and what a what a car to be in to do that stuff just hammering first and second in in a gt3 yeah yeah screaming gt3 I think that at that point in time, yeah, so James had the, the PDK and he's since learned the light, seen the light mm. and, and got a manual. Um, 
and I I noticed that it just becomes that car in PDK same to same as, as the RS of that generation nine nine one. It's just an absolute weapon in that form, and you you sort of focus less on the experience of driving, I would say, and more on getting somewhere. A bit like if you're driving like a nine eleven turbo, or something like that. Something that's just got so much performance. You just focus on like the end. Yeah. You don't focus on the drive. Um, I did a drive recently with a, a friend of mine has a seven twenty S, and. We, were, we went down to Goodwood and it was the first day, the first weekend that you were allowed to go for a drive in the UK after all this lockdown stuff. So we went down to Goodwood just to sort of go for a little blast. And there was a lot of times when he was just like zipping off. Just 720s, just unbelievably fast. But, and then I'd eventually catch up with him and there was another guy in a 430. And... But I was I'm smiling, smiling the, entire the entire time. I know he was smiling a lot. He, he, he was enjoying it. But yeah. I, I suddenly had that click in and that memory again of how much enjoyment I get out of changing gears, like matching revs, feeling everything in the car. Like that's one of the reasons why I love the old 911. There's just all of these feelings amplified, but at half the pace. Yeah. And... It's, it's very easy to just get drawn into going faster and faster and faster. And it, on the road, like, what the hell is the point? I just, I've lost it all. Like, it's nice every now and then to get in something quick and push that button. But once you've gone fast once, you've gone fast. Mm. Like, it's, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You can now get in a Tesla Model S and it will beat any supercar to 60, pretty much. Like, yeah. So you're having a supercar that's crazily fast at the cost of having an experience, I, I don't get. I just... Yeah. doesn't make any sense that, to me anymore. That reminds me of the video you did with that catering in the wet. Oh. Through oh. the lanes. So good. That, <laughs> that, that's quite a random video. For the, yeah, those people out there, there's, I did a video with a Caterham 310R and it was the first time I've driven a Caterham in a while and it was the first time I think I've driven a Caterham on the road. The R has... Um, like a sort of a more stickier compound tire, more sort of track biased, which means it's worse in the wet. And yeah, I had this car for the day and it was raining. And I just picked it up from Caterham headquarters and knew I had the afternoon, basically. Oh, I think I had it for the weekend, but I picked an afternoon, went for a drive, just zoomed out on Google, found an area that looked like it had loads of wiggles. <laughs> Yeah, as you do. And went, and this, this tiny, I found these tiny roads, like really small little two lane roads. And it was muddy and raining. And I would put this drive down as like top five of all time. Like my experience fun in a car driving this Caterham, just you just start to build up your confidence with it. Yeah. which is dangerous because then you just start taking liberties like, and just chucking it around everywhere, <laughs> left, right and centre, every roundabout. I don't recommend driving like that at all, but driving that car just pulled it out of you. And 310, the the name naming of the Caterhams, the 310R is the brake horsepower per tonne. Mm. Um, I think my GT3 RS is 340, something like that. But yeah, the Caterham weighs... 500 kilos and it's 152 horsepower something like that and just flipping your own gears chucking stuff around getting wet like all of that stuff just added to this experience and it just took me back like just takes away all of these 
I've been lucky enough to do some loads of amazing things in cars, and I've driven some amazing cars in some amazing places on some amazing tracks. But like, I cater them mm. in the wet on a small British B road is way up there, way up there. Yeah, Just like it's no a great, it's a great video. Such a good video. <laughs> I mean, from a production <laughs> point, of, from a production perspective, it's probably not a good video because, like, you have a GoPro, you have like a microphone. You know, the audio is not great because you're outside. It's yeah. pissing down with rain. But just the enjoyment on your face and the sound of the car, just first second sideways on you know muddy like lane, British B row, whatever it is, like it's a it's a it's a know. private test track. That's yeah, what it was. definitely. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned like you know once you've gone fast once you've kind of done it, especially on public roads. Does that is that kind of what pushes you to like the whole racing thing? And I mean, you, you still have a radical, right? You do a lot of races yeah. and, and you've done the, the C1 endurance stuff. Like, is that, is that what you get your buzz out of now outside of doing um, random catering stuff? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's tricky. I think I, the, the racing started about five years ago, I think something like that. Um, and I just sort of I realized, realized it was like, well, like, well Maybe now's Maybe the time. Now's the I'd time. always like the idea of doing some racing, racing, but I'd never, but never sort of pulled the trigger on it at all. all. And uh, I just decided, I just okay, decided, okay, let's let's, let's look at the options. One of the things I looked at was Caterham Academy. And at the time I had my G3 RS as my road car. And I wanted to drive something on track that I felt was a step up in performance and gave me something different to, let's say I took my G3 RS on track. And, and the idea, the idea of, driving of driving the catering wasn't, wasn't really that for me at, me at the time. It was like, it just, they don't look that badass. It yeah. didn't, it wasn't going to be faster really than a GT3, I don't think. Um, it would have been a lot of fun, but at the time I was just like, okay, let's have a look. And I found these these cars called Radicals, which are, if you've not come across a Radical, it's like, it looks like a small prototype. That's essentially what they are. Um, so like high downforce slicks and wings and stuff like that. And I did, I did their, their novice, novice series, which was the SR1 Cup. Cup. And uh, that's, that's a, a it's some downforce, or reasonable amount of downforce compared to any road car. Mm-hmm. The cars are really light. They're about 100 and, no, sorry, not 100, 500 and something kilos, 530, 40, something like that, 185 horsepower. Um, so quite punchy, but not a lot of outright horsepower. So mm. if you're at somewhere like Silverstone, you go like 120 miles an hour and that's it like you're not going any faster than that um but the cornering speeds are really high and that was on a a treaded tire so it's kind of like a road tire okay um and that i did two seasons of that so it was like four they, it would be four race weekends and there was two or three races each i think it was three races each weekend um and had a couple of big accidents had one at brands hatch which was uh, coming down the, the start finish, I don't know how well you know mm-hmm. Brands. Hatch, yeah. Basically, there's um, what the hell's that, that corner called? Corner one at Brands is a big sloping right down a massive hill, and I just touched the brakes, and the the, the brake bias on the car, even though it was wound all the way forward, the SR1. And if you're listening, guys, you know this is not built very well, and it's built so that the there's the way the brake bias works. When you look at the pedals, there's a screw mm-hmm. that sort of screws through and that adjusts the angle of how much pressure gets pressed on the front brake or the back brake. But if you keep screwing it all the way through, it gets to a certain point where this bolt 
overlaps the um, the actual casing for the brake pedals. So it overlaps this bit of metal. So when you press the pedal, half of this screw is just held on the on the box, so it can't move. Yeah. So one of them, which was the front brakes, was being held without being pushed down. And whenever you push, the whole thing would bend, so you'd still get some braking, um, but it would just press the rear brakes. So it was really safe. Really safe design, that one. And after talking to people, they're like, oh, yeah, you just need to cut it off. It's like, well, why do they sell me a car with this lovely defect in it? Anyway, I touched the brakes um, and just span into the inside wall on the start-finish straight at like 70 or something. So that was nice. quite scary and sat with me for a really long time because I didn't know why it happened. Yeah. Like I, and then someone else was just like, because that's one thing, you can have an accident and if you know what's caused it, like if it's something you've done, mm-hmm. you can sort of live with that because you go, well, I did that and therefore next time I will not do that. I've learned that lesson and I won't crash. Whereas when it's a really weird mechanical issue, it's like a freak accident. You then can't trust the car. Like, you know, you right. see like Hamilton when it's like wheel falls off. Like, yeah. I don't really know how you kind of get back in a car that's that fast when it goes when you have issues like that um so i I struggled with that for quite a long time but we were always having issues with the tires so it was a treaded tire that you'd you were restricted i think to eight tires per season and so that meant you if it rained you wouldn't put on a fresh set like Mm. so you'd have your semi-worn already awful tires (laughs) And these cars in the wet on those tyres were just an absolute liability. People were just wiping out left, right and centre. And I, the next season, I don't actually crash that much, by the way. But <laughs> I had two big accidents in SR1s. And yeah. the, most of two-thirds of the way through season two, we were at Cadwell Park. And I'd done the testing day. My mechanic had put the car in reverse. This is another SR1. SR1s, they've since changed the car so a lot of these issues are not the issue they have a diff um where you can put it in reverse and it essentially puts puts a cog in and then it runs the wheels backwards sure but if you put it into reverse these pins drop down and it locks the diff like it's a really smart design that um so you have to rebuild the diff so this happened at like session one someone put it in reverse it got stuck on the friday so we lost all of friday trying to repair this diff friday night They'd run it around the car park and said, it works. So, okay, cool. I've got qualifying on Saturday morning. I've not really driven this track before. Let's work this out. Qualifying, I go and do four laps. The diff overheats. It was not solved. And the car just ground to a halt. Okay, <laughs> sweet. So I had to start from the back of the grid. We changed the diff out at this point to another one. And then it started raining. And so I'm at the very back. We started under a... I think we did a normal start and then some people crashed. Mm-hmm. So then we started under a safety car. And on the restart, Cadwell Park, for those that don't know, is like this tiny little track in the northeast of England that's kind of like the Nürburgring. It's just it's a bit of tarmac and then six foot and then a wall. And that's it all the way around. Like, or trees or whatever. And when it rains, the start-finish straight gets flooded on half of it. I'd never been there in the wet. wet. I did not know this was a thing. thing. On the restart, we're driving driving around and your open top cars cars, and the cars cars in front, front, they have 
quite big diffusers, so they just kick up a wall of water into your face. And it's funny when you watch some of the onboard because it literally looks like on the onboard, and it's worse when you're driving. Someone's taken a fire hose and just pointed it at your face and just gone. And that's it. You just have this wall of water in your face. So you can't see a thing. And you obviously you're like, well, I want to like, I want to go down the track. I'm going to keep my foot in it. This is fine. I roughly know where I am. And what happened was on the restart, the cars on the left of the track, because you've lined up the cars either side. There's like two, two all the way down sort of thing. The cars on the left side hit this massive puddle of water, span off. And uh, the car in front of me span. So, and as it's spinning, it's flicking up more water. So it, the, the jet turns into just a wall of water. Yeah. So I lift off. And I'm like, mm, this seems sketchy. As I lift off, I hit this patch of standing water. The car, because they're like th- four mil off the ground, just aquaplanes. The car turns left 90 degrees, just straight away, just jinks 90 degrees. And then <laughs> it's just this like just keeps going there's a there was a little entrance on the side of the track for the marshals and stuff to get to the start line and where this entrance and the gap in the sort of armco was there was a tiny little mound like just a little mound up to this entrance probably like four or five centimeters yeah. just a, a slight raise my car goes over this sideways and takes off it then goes up over the barrier yeah lands on the barrier and then the only way to describe this is it was like a board slide as on a skateboard down the barrier with my car. Just like, actually, no, it'd be a 50 50 because I was yeah. just like down this rail. <laughs> on the left, there's just trees. So if I'd been going four miles an hour faster or something, I would have cleared yeah, the, the barrier yeah. straight into the trees, which is quite harrowing. Go down this thing, fall back onto the track, somehow manage the car stays upright. And then I've just about the cut. There's a car just crashed in front. Two cars crashed in front of me, and then I could. Someone's looking at my face, and just as I'm about to sort of be like, okay, and then he goes like, just waves his hand like, no, 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 no. Uh oh. And then, wham! Someone else hit me from behind. Someone else had done very similar to what I'd done, and then just careered into the back of the car. So that car was. Written, written off, off in, in all all, all yeah, meanings of the word, word. Um, um, and, and that, that spurred me to move up a level <laughs> and drive a faster <laughs> car because that's logical. Um, yeah. But my main reason was the, the SR3, which is the one I have now, is a bit wider, it's a bit longer, it's significantly more developed as a race car, so it's much more stable, um, and they ran wet tires and slick tires. So, so I knew, because I didn't want to drive, drive another wet race with these tires on because they were just really dangerous and they yeah. weren't willing to do a wet tire then anyway because they didn't want to keep the cost down. And as soon as you start allowing changes of tires and slicks, the cost just, your weekend cost just skyrockets because of tires. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up in an SR3. And generally chasing this sort of prototype look of going fast and dealing with aero. And an SR3... It's not super fast in a straight line. It's it's not slow. It's similar sort of weight, so sort of five fifty kilos. I think with me in it, me in it, it's it's sub six hundred. Yeah. Um, and, and it does like six hundred kilos, kilos of downforce at hundred miles an hour. So, so more, than, more it's than its weight, weight 
at 100 miles an hour. And you always get manufacturers quote these downforce numbers. They're like a, a P1, for example, 600. I think it was 600. Uh, but it's 600 at 180 miles an hour. Yeah. If you could get an SR3 to 180 miles an hour, which you can't, it would be like 3,000 kilos of downforce because it's just the way, you know, it yeah. ramps up when you start going faster. So there's tracks like Spa, like Eau Rouge is, is flat at like 125 or something and you just keep it pinned. And it's yeah. actually exactly. just like, it's locked down. So it got so all this experience driving these prototypes, prototypes which, which is amazing fun. fun. It's, it's, it's an, an awesome, awesome feeling. feeling. Um, um, but I did, I did a bit, a bit of, racing of racing in it. In it and, and I just, I just someone, someone said, said, do you want do you to go want and to race? race a, uh, uh, the first, first one we did, we raced an MX-5. So we raced a Mark 1 MX-5, which in terms of pace versus the Radicals, just couldn't be any more difference. Like yeah. an SR3 will do the same lap time around Silverstone, which is quite a high power circuit, as a GT3 race car. Wow. Or at least from like three years ago. Yeah. So an SR3 will do three oh, uh, 202, and a GT3 car used to be 203, 204. I think they're now just about two minutes. Sure. Which is kind of bonkers. Yeah. They, they like these little kit car things. Um, but... We went into this MX-5 racing and I had a hoot. Like I had just one, you just get punished because mm. these guys that race MX-5s, there was a lot of really good people doing it and they knew their car super well and you just didn't have any horsepower whatsoever to make up for small mistakes. The Radical's not too bad. Yeah. Um, and you know, just, you know, people are just driving away from you and you make all these excuses. You're like, oh, my car must be at least one horsepower down over yours. Um and then the next one, the same group of people, we did the Citroen C1 race. And so we'd been doing a bunch of the sprint sprint races and we're like, well, why don't we try an endurance race? Because it's, it's a lot more driving. So you get a lot more for your time in terms of like your weekend. And then it seems cheaper. So we did these Citroen C1 24 hour. The first one we did was at Spa. And I got a couple of friends. We got a group of five. We get in this little C1s. It just... I've got a whole new respect for any little town car I see around town now. A little C1, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're quite fun on the track. And they're, they're just basically a Citroen C1 that's been stripped out, and it's that's about it. And it's just on some tires, job done. Tires cost like a tenner each or something hilarious. <laughs> and, um, and you bang around Spa. And our first year, we came eighth, and we were we were in the top five for a lot of it. Yeah. And we sort of were like, oh, this is quite easy. You know, what are we playing at? And then it's uh, it's, it's sort of gone downhill from there. Essentially, we were, we were quite lucky. <laughs> we yeah. had all sorts of incidents and mechanical issues racing, but racing with 150 cars on track is versus, in the Radicals, it was like 20. Racing like 150 cars on track, everyone racing flat out. Cars are, are not worth very much money. Fixing them is really cheap, definitely for racing standards. And we just had the biggest smiles the entire time because you're having battles with, however slow or fast you are, you're having battles with people all the time. And at the Spa 24-hour, there's three class of cars. So it's sort of like you're in a little mini Le Mans. You have these two CVs that, I mean, they really are slow. They can't keep up with the pace car. The pace car is driving 50 kilometers an hour and they cannot, cannot keep up. So yeah. 
we had this issue where they told us you cannot overtake another car under the safety car, but people were overtaking the two CVs and you'd be like, oh, it's a bit unfair. Last year they changed it. Like, if it's a two CV, you can't overtake a car under the safety car, but if it's a two CV, you can drive past it because they're too slow. Because <laughs> there's pointless them being there. You, you, you got to be but, a bit mad. Yeah, because you have the two CVs hanging around and then you've got all these C1s and then you have these like prototype two CVs. So people have taken them and then just gone mad with them and put different bodies on them, mess with the engines, different exhausts, all that sort of stuff. You have three speeds of car and driving with a couple of speeds of car on the track is amazing because you're overtaking the slow cars all the time. You're fighting with the people that you're fighting with. You're catching up with the slow guys in your yeah. own group and then you every now and then have to watch out for someone that's... 30 seconds a lap faster behind you to deal with them coming past right. and drafting and stuff. And I cannot recommend that racing enough. Having done some, I would consider pretty expensive racing, not by GT standards or anything like mm. that. I get a lot more kicks out of racing in a, a Citroen C1 yeah. than in a Radical. So I've still got the Radical. I still drive it occasionally because I, I want to build up my skills driving something with high downforce. Mm-hmm. Um, in case, you know, some freak situation happens where someone's like, do you want to drive a F1 car or an LMP2 right. car or whatever? Like, it'd be, it's nice to have some experience in that category. Um, but racing-wise, I've just gone, what's the best bang for buck that has the biggest grid and that looks like it's going to be the most fun? And endurance racing is definitely the way to go. Yeah, Seat time, you get hours of racing, like hours and hours, whereas... If you do a normal sprint weekend, you might get an hour over an entire weekend, and that's not that fun to be honest. Yeah, there's there's a great Netflix series, a Netflix show. I don't know if you've watched it. Yeah, it's called The Gentleman Racer. Very good. It's good, Very isn't good it? Series. Yeah, I, I watched that um, quite a while back, and thought that's. I mean, that's so awesome. Um, I mean, is that a goal for you, or or would you rather go down like the kind of Goodwood oh. revival style, like racing the old stuff there, or both? Uh, it's a very good question. I think there was a time, if you'd asked me a year ago, there was always a goal of doing a GT, maybe a GT season at some point in my life or some kind of GT3 racing. And I would like to, I think I would still like to do a GT3 race, maybe. No, I would like to drive a GT3 car at some point in time. So I'd like to do a GT3 test day at some, some point, point in time, time just to just experience the car. car. But in but terms, in terms of, of the racing, racing, I don't think the racing is necessarily, it's not any better than you're going to get in your Citroen C1. Sure. Your car's faster or whatever, but the racing's not going to be get, get better. In GT racing, you get a lot of people, and you get it in all categories, that have too much money. Like, right. Relative to what they're doing. And they, you seem to come across people that just don't care about other people. And no matter how much money you've got, if you damage someone else's car, they have to pay for it. And unless you're going to turn around and pay for their car, which basically never happens, like you should, you've got to be careful of other people's stuff. And there are people that just don't give a shit about other people on the racetrack. I've seen it a lot on test days where I'll be testing the Radical and we'll have some... I did a video about About this. There were some some, uh, uh, GT3 Lambos Lambos driving driving around, around, taking taking 
I would say, I would say undue, undue liberties, liberties mm -hmm. for no real no reason. reason. Like it's, it's a test, test day. day. Like, no, no one's winning. winning. No one's no losing. losing. Just don't just hit don't someone hit else's car. car. And, and you saw so a lot of that then. I think different series are better than others for it. But yeah. I just don't. I'm not interested in the slightest in being involved in that. It's so expensive. Yeah. Um. I've obviously you know it'd be cool to race at Le Mans sometime, but I don't necessarily. My dream would be to somehow work all of the social media and the photography, whether it's a podcast and whatever, to get to a point where someone says, oh, and also you have race car experience. Do you want to come and drive our BMW at the Nürburgring or yeah. something like that? Like you see it with journalists. It happens occasionally. I, I'm, that would be an, an amazing opportunity like, to drive something like that. What, mm basically drive on someone else's dime is that, that is kind the, of that is the dream is that kind of what sam hancock does yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i thought so yeah. um i don't know whether he i don't know how much racing he's done in a while my my coach is his brother actually okay there's a guy called ollie um so i've seen sam i've met him a few times at various events and stuff like that and i think he's now doing commentary but um yeah all of those drivers it's generally those guys. So Sam and Ollie are both coaches, mm -hmm. and so they often get to drive with, with the people, the they, people coach. they coach. So that, well, often, that often happens whether someone's, someone's uh, that's doing a GT3 season. season. They'll, they'll get, get a professional, professional driver, driver and they'll, they'll share, share the drive, drive with that person, person with, with the aim of, of all of the, the lots of the GT series, so Blanc Pan or something like that. You you have a mandatory pit stop, and you have to do a driver swap. We don't necessarily have to do a driver swap, but yeah. Lots of people, people do. do. And so people, so will, people get will get a professional, get a professional driver, driver in, in one, one to help them get better, get better testing, testing, set up the car, all of these sure. things that if, as you're a, a novice gentleman driver, you don't know. Um, and they will put your car like on pole, <laughs> do, do half the race. And then you come in and I've seen it like loads before where someone's, got a really, a really shit hot professional hot driver, driver to do driver half the stint and they come they in come like in 10, 10 seconds, seconds ahead of the pack at the pit, pit stop and then it's the, got, it's the job of the next guy to just not lose too much just hang on yeah. hang, hang on, on. But, but and you see it a lot where one driver will qualify and the other one will start which is i think they're trying to that's a really tricky one because if you have a bunch of pro drivers qualifying and then you have all the ams with them Sometimes, Sometimes the AMs are just, just as fast, fast. Yeah. but often, often they're, they're not. not. And then you and put them at the front, front of the grid with people that are faster behind. And it's just, it's, it's, it's how you it's see some of these almighty GT3 crashes, crashes. Like, like Silverstone, Silverstone. Turn, one, turn one, 15 cars, <laughs> like yeah. 8 million pounds worth of damage in one like corner. Absolutely obscene. All right, we're coming up close on, I know you got to go soon, so I'm going to finish with some questions. I'm going to ask you your own questions that you ask on your podcast. Oh, are you? Yeah, because I don't to my own questions. Yeah. And I was like listening to, like I we were talking earlier and I listened to the one with Jens and it's just so good. The most recent one you did with with Jens from Singer. Oh, yeah. Is it called Such an awesome, so yeah, just very interesting character. So... I think in that one though you like I'm gonna ask you five questions and you ask four. <laughs> like, I did. I realized uh, afterwards. I was like, I forgot the first question. And you did it with Max most, too. You did it with the driving triple journey. Yeah. 
So I mean, <laughs> let's you know, let let's do it. What is that most gen- most uh, most memorable, most driving, memorable trip? driving trip or journey? Yeah. Um, uh, first snow tour. So the guys from, who I met through through Gumball, his team Gala guys, Talal and everyone, uh, decided to go drive in Norway and Sweden in the winter in a bunch of cars that you would normally not do this in. And that first year, I took my old 911, so it's a, it's a 1978 SC that's been backdated to look like a ST. So it's had a few things messed with. It's stiffer, it's got decent audio system, blah, 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 bit more power, all that sort of stuff. And put it on some winter tires, put some lights on the front, so because I know it's snowy and the lights suck on old cars. Uh, we put some bonnet latches on the front as well because those bonnets don't necessarily always shut. And I figured mm, maybe if there's snow and ice and all of these things that it might start popping up and you don't, you never want a bonnet to slam up. But took this car to meet these guys and we met in uh, Copenhagen, I think. And then we drove up to Stockholm and then we just went north from Stockholm and up to Arvidsjaur and all of these places in like just ice on the roads driving an old 911. Everyone else was in these like modern cars. Talal was in his AMG GT, the big wide body kit one. And we had a, a bunch of different sort of assorted cars. Um, some of the Swedes were, one of the guys was in an RS6 and he had 800 studs in each tire. And they were like and it, like two centimeters long or something yeah. ridiculous. He was like, it's like driving on track. In fact, it's grippier than driving on track. <laughs> what the hell? On normal tarmac, but on ice. Yeah. Um, but that experience, driving my car in a conditions that were interesting, like very interesting, and just you just slide around everywhere, and it's mm. you've got there's not very very little grip, so you just every corner is you're invariably sliding out of it at like twenty miles an hour. Yeah. Or whatever. You get to a roundabout, you go around a roundabout. All the Scandies drive like absolute mental cases. Like you can see how they're all really good at uh, rallying because that's literally how they drive everywhere Mm. the entire time. Um, But yeah, just a super memorable trip. And one, I I always recommend to random people, any car, any car on snow is awesome fun. We've now done the same same trip, but different-ish three times. And I've done it in different vehicles. And friends have brought different cars along and just generally something the key is like something you don't care about too much like if it got a little ding would that ruin your life like that's not the car to take yeah to the snow although snow is relatively soft um and just whether it's go go up there get a rental car with some mates and just drive around the back roads and it's like i say it's like you're driving on a rally stage but you are driving on a rally stage because that yeah. is what they do, <laughs> right? And it, the and great, the just... great thing, like they, the 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 um, the content from that, like for everyone listening, uh, I mean, we could oh, talk yeah, for the next no. thirty minutes about the snow tour content. It's amazing, and the cars that are on it. I mean, the guy in the Ford GT this year, last year's one, is just oh, yeah. hooligan. Uh, yeah, like that. Some of the just best YouTube content out there. Just go to Team Galag on YouTube and just look at snow tour, and there's you know, three volumes and done great movies and stuff like that. It's it's very good. Um that's awesome. I would I would say the snow tour um is 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 like that gumball thing all over again about the melting pot of creatives. Mm-hmm. One of the things they've done amazingly is 
and because of we've met all these people and over the years we just get this crazy bunch of filmers and photographers on these trips and it's it's definitely photographer heavy in yeah. terms of the people that go on it but in kind of a good way because each day is like this battle about who can create the coolest shot and there's always like this stupid cars we've had like batmobile and stuff and yeah this guy brought a ford gt um the old the oldish one yeah 2004 when there was what this the, the pista the landelay i mean yeah, it's nuts a pista. <laughs> it's, just, it's just mad stuff uh, the um, uh but the content and just hanging out with these people and just being pushed everyone's just getting pushed 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 to make the, the coolest craziest stuff and it just it helps you really elevate yeah your own work yeah my favorite clip is like the drone shot when you're all going across that bridge oh yeah so good uh yeah that was mad uh that was a helicopter oh really yeah i think so no Uh, well there was a few yeah we the first year we we managed to get a helicopter somehow uh john olsen was coming and he had a mate that had a heli (laughs) so they organized for us to have a heli and this is literally a trip of like 15 mates and like yeah okay we've got a heli casual yeah (laughs) brilliant um all right five car garage unlimited value oh man that's so difficult i think about this every freaking time i do this question and okay i'll go where like today yeah right now that's that's all i can do in terms of the daily uh i oh Jeez, man, this is a difficult question. Uh, I, I, I would still probably have my S4, actually. I would have the current one, the newest one. Maybe. I don't know. Yes. No, I'd have an RS4. I'd have an RS4 as my daily, um, and I would forget about the increase in petrol costs because um, I'd still want a, pe- a petrol engine. I don't want a diesel. I would appreciate the extra range and fuel mileage blah 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 but it's a cool car it's small enough ish width wise for driving around town rs6 is quite big it makes if you go through a width restriction in rs6 that's it you're having a really bad day um so that yeah the four is a little bit narrower so that's that's the daily fits into my life quite well it's not too in your face and then i'd have some sort of classic car i would have an old 911 uh, uh, I'd, I'd struggle, struggle to, to say, say whether, whether uh, uh, at the moment, the moment I'd probably, probably still, still keep, keep my, my no, 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 I'd get rid of it. I'd get a roof, get, okay. get some, some sort, sort of roof, roof classic, classic restored thing, thing that's been messed with. with. So okay. like a, I don't think nine six four based. Before then, I think ideally, um, they do some of these older cars. Um, they're unbelievably expensive but i used to love singers mm-hmm. i still like singers but i keep hearing not good stuff about them from people that have them um just build quality issues reliability issues the sort of things that you don't see from the impeccable finish and stuff like that sure this may have changed by now but i keep hearing those sorts of issues and it puts me off the idea of having a car that might not be reliable or that you might have issues dealing with puts me off it unfortunately um although someone i know has got one recently and i'm i'm, I'm gonna have a go as soon as we're allowed two people in a car I'm yeah gonna force it so yeah like an old roof 
78 based thing that would be my classic Porsche a modern car I'd have a 991.2 touring uh-huh. that would be my sort of everyday supercar driver used most of the time um, I would get rid of I wouldn't have my GT3 RS even though I think it's a mega car it's just not you can't use the back so yeah right what have we got we've got the old S3, 911 yeah. we've got an S- RS4 got a 991 touring and I've got two cars F1 GTR Claren F1 GTR short tail yeah um, not 100% sure which one one of them any one of those ones I would repaint it or find one that's a sick livery it's just like all time all time mega, mega machine, machine. And then the final one, this has changed recently, talking to some different people. I would have some sort of F1 car, I think, would be my track car. I'd have like a, the last of the, there was a car I came across recently at Gerardo & Co. It was a 412T2, is that it? The great, the photos you took of it that you post on your Instagram? That yeah, it's, yeah like it's like a uh, it's a, a V12, V12 Ferrari F1 mm. car, the last of the V12s. Schumacher, Schumacher drove it. It's got paddles, like sounds unbelievable, but like somewhat modern-ish. So I mean, you can't really run that on a track day, but in your unlimited situation, yeah, maybe something like that as a track car. I, and now I've just decided I could totally change my old car sorry I'm going to change it it's not this old roof thing I'd have like a 3 litre RSR the old race car that is also a road car because it's a cool road car it's fun to drive but you can do all of the events in it you can do tour auto you can you can race it you can do the millimetre like whatever you can do everything I don't know when you can do the millimetre but you can do a lot of racing and general road events in that mm-hmm. there we go the, uh, like 20 minutes <laughs> you are, yeah uh one car one car for the rest of uh right now rest of your life i guess today yeah 991.2 touring and this has literally changed in the last week i would have previously had a singer or something like that yeah um, but no i want the modern tech i want the modern safety i don't want to have, have a crash break my face on a steering wheel I'd like to have an airbag Um, and in touring form I I feel like they fit in into normal environment without having that big douchebag wing on the back and you've got the space without the cage in the back so yeah that if I could have seats in the back I'd even have probably have seats but you can't do that yeah uh most undervalued car right now oh man I've heard some really good answers to these questions. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, st- I still think that, this is, and they're definitely not cheap. Um, I think the sort of modernish GT race cars, so like 997 RSR, 996 RS, um, yeah, the Corvettes, all those sort of things from that era, not the Ferraris. The Ferraris are mega expensive. But if you compare it to in the racing world, the older cars of exactly the same things. These are cars, whether it's like, yeah, the GT1 cars, like 996 GT1, CLK GTR, there's like five of them. Mm. Or like a Porsche RSR, there's 
like, I don't know, 20 of them maybe. And you people go mad over a, a four liter GT3 RS that there's 500 of. This is a race car that went to Le Mans and there's 25 of them and they're currently the same price as a four liter RS. Now I know you can't use them on the road, but... But still, for an investment purpose? <laughs> for an investment purpose and yeah. you could go and do some classic events that would be very expensive for the day, but it's a different experience to... Yeah. Driving a Porsche RSR down the Molsan Strait for me is like really up there bucket list stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what are you what are you googling? What's the most what's interesting to you right now? Oh, I, okay. It's it's the nine eleven touring. Yeah, really Just considering this it? week. Um, I'd sort of forgotten about it. Essentially, I'm moving house. Okay. At the moment, within the next couple of weeks, and I'm going from one garage space to two garage spaces. Look out. I, I, as, as we've stated before, I still have more, more cars than will fit in these two spaces. But it's made me think about, okay, if you only had three cars, you know, what would they be? And like, what would you get rid of? And yeah. all that sort of stuff. And would you still have your radical? And blah, 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 blah. And it's completely shifted. And I just don't drive the G3 RS that much. I love it. Absolutely love it. But if you're like, you can only have three cars, or two cars or something like that. It, it doesn't get driven, and if you don't drive it, what's sure. the point? So do you just swap? Do you just swap it? You're considering swapping yeah. it for for a touring? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I the the order it would go. I don't know. We haven't mentioned this car yet, but the yeah, F40, I was holding off on that would, one. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that would be the first one. That's the first one to go. Really, it's an absolutely phenomenal car. Yeah, um, but it's it's too expensive for me to have fun in, and as you've seen with. Yeah, the, the Porsches, for example, I I love using them. Like I love having a car that's of a value where I'm like, I, could, I would take this to Sweden and go and mess around mm. in the snow. And like you get all those memories. Like someone said this to me like a week ago. It was like, find me someone that's got memories of a zero mile car. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Like you don't have that. And when you invariably sell the car at some point in time and you've kept it because it might be worth something later, I, it's not worth it, and I and the, the car for me is is now too expensive to really really use. Yeah, and and yeah, that would that would probably go first. I would then get a nine nine one touring, and I would, within three months, just make a decision whether I was going to keep the RS or not. That would probably, and then let's say the RS goes, and then I want some sort of convertible. So I've been looking at like cheap convert cheapish convertibles, like nine eight seven boxes and stuff, because I just but then I don't want to have three, four Porsches. That just seems. Well, why weird. not? <laughs> but I do love the brand. Yeah. Well, the new, um, the new, was it the new kind of GT4? What is it? It's not. Is it the Speedster? Not, not. Yes. Well, there's two. Okay, yeah, so the baby the, one, the nine eight, the nine eight with the baby one. There's Would the you have Speedster, that? which is the nine eleven. Yeah. And there's the baby one, which is the seven eighteen. That right. That one. Is it Speedster? Something like that. Yeah, I think so. It's not called Speedster. No, is it? it's called something else, isn't it? Spider. 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 There That's you what go. It's yeah. Would you have one of those? Spider. That that would be a wicked car. Yeah. And probably hold its value reasonably well. Mm, awesome. Well, yeah. I think we. I mean, I, I'm pretty proud of myself for lasting until the end of the podcast to mention that Sam has a blue F40, and you can see <laughs> yeah, plenty of photos well. of it. It's some Couple mega videos, videos of it. Yeah. I think if one of you at Caffeine and Machine just having a great time. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Got, got all sorts of shit for making that video. 
Uh, like, whatever. Whenever you do something, I'm very wary about not filming anything that's illegal. Like really making a conscious effort to not mm. film something that's illegal within, within you know, say, sure. a bit of margin. Um, and the a head cam, or I think the camera in the F40 video is in my mouth, actually, because mm. it's, it's slightly a better angle. If you have it really high, you can't see forwards. Um, that, in that car, it looks like you're going 500 miles an hour when you're going 40. Like it genuinely does. And the amount of comments that are like, you could have killed someone, you could have done this, like you're speeding. And honestly, it's a 60 mile an hour limit on that road. And, and the, the max, max I must have gone was like 63 or something yeah. like that. Just literally like flat and then go back down, like go back down to like 20 and then hoon again. And the suspension's all jiggly and the boost comes in and the wheels light up and all this sort of stuff. But I'm not driving it. I'm driving it within how I feel comfortable. Yes, pushing it a little bit, but not not crazy right. fast. But the video looks mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I... We've ran late. I don't want to take any more of your time, mate. This has been awesome. Right. Uh, I really appreciate you you taking the time to come on and and share some share some stories. I know you know being as a guest on a podcast is totally different to being you know the the host, and it's much easier yeah. being a host, I think, than being a guest. But um, I really appreciate your time, and, and you know I'm look look forward to seeing what spec you get for that new uh, that touring. <laughs> yeah, well, I found one yesterday. Um, and, and and this, this is what, what sort of pulled it off, is it? And it was the first one I'd seen that had any miles on it. Mm. So all the ones you see on the internet for sale have got like a thousand miles, and therefore they're priced stupidly. And I don't want to buy one with a thousand miles. I want to buy one with like fifteen thousand miles and put twenty-five thousand miles on it. Um, so we'll yeah. see. I, it will, if I do end up with one, I think I will paint it because I don't like any of the colors on the current ones. Yeah, there was there's one out here. I went to a car show recently um, because in the States, car shows are open and people are running around like nothing ever happened. Mm. Um, they don't know what COVID is. Uh, and there was one in chalk. There was a chalk colored one and everybody walked past it because they just thought it was a normal 911. I yeah, was like, yeah. I kind of like that. Uh, I, I quite like that. I like the fact that it's not so in your face. Yeah. But but thanks very much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, mate. It's been it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been weird being on this side. It is. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? It, it is very weird. <laughs> but um, no, I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate, you know, you continuing to post content. I think your photos are awesome. Uh, and the podcasts, you know, keep doing it because uh, I love listening to it. Um, cool. Thanks very and, much. And I'm going to keep hounding the guests. There's more coming and lots of interesting people. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to seeing the to hearing the one with Larry. I'm sure you're going to talk a lot of photography, kind of nerd out yeah. on that, um, <laughs> yeah. which I'm That's quite plan, excited man. about. But um, yeah, mate, really appreciate your time. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, go follow Sam on Instagram at Sam Moore's Photo, and then follow us as well at Random Car Guys, and we'll catch you next episode. Cheers.